Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. If you don't recognize my voice and you're wondering where Allie is, well, uh, we're switching it up this week so that you can get to know our entire team here at the Food Biz Whiz, uh, which is why I will be hosting today's episode, a new series we are calling Is It Worth It, Charlie?, where I sit down and talk to students inside our retail-ready community about pivotal decisions they are about to make in their business. Now, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Charlie Birkinshaw, and in addition to running my own CPG business, Element Shrub, I also support and coach our retail-ready students inside our retail-ready course and community. So in today's episode, I will be sitting down with fellow retail-ready student, Kareen, from My Guiltless Treats to talk about package sizes. So if this is a uh, decision you struggle with, I am really excited for you guys to listen in. So with that said, let's find out, Kareen, is it worth it? I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious, values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the behind the scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Whiz podcast to give you hard-to-access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. This episode is brought to you by Retail Ready, my online course for producers of packaged product who are looking to grow their wholesale accounts. Retail Ready is opening for enrollment very soon. Through videos, workbooks, checklists, templates, live coaching calls with me, and daily access to me and my team in our private online group, Retail Ready has all the tools that you need to increase your sales through wholesale accounts, whether that's in traditional brick and mortar outlets or through e-commerce platforms. The first step to find out more about Retail Ready is to join my free masterclass on the three steps to growing your packaged food business, which I'll link to here in today's show notes. That hour-long webinar is jam-packed with advice that you can use to kickstart your growth right now, plus information on Retail Ready, on my past clients, and how we can work together. Sign up via the link in my show notes, and I will see you there. Kareen, welcome. It's so great to have you on the show today. Hi, Charlie. Hey. So uh, as I said in the introduction, today we are going to talk about uh, package size. So what I mean by that is right now you had, we, we've talked before and you, you had mentioned that your product is currently, let's say three ounces or four ounces, and you are thinking about, you know, or at least you've gotten feedback that people say you should make it bigger or you should make it smaller. And, um, and you're, you're trying to decide, you know, is it worth it? Should I, should I listen to them or should I listen to myself? Because, you know, I, I created this size because I thought that was right. So before we jump into the topic, um, why don't you give us the 30 second pitch on my guiltless treats and, and maybe a little more context for, for everybody about how, you know, you came to this, like, uh, how this topic came up in your business. Well, my guiltless treats 
is based in California. We offer delicious, healthy panna cotta desserts. Panna cotta is Italian dessert, like flan. But I use coconut cream instead of whipping cream. So there's no lactose in my products. And I changed the recipe to be more healthier. I added protein from milk, but there's no lactose. I laid it over real fruit like mango or guava or pineapple. And these are my most popular flavors that I introduced in 2018. And they've been selling out really well. They are only available in these four and a half ounce sizes because when I first did my cost of goods, it was like the ideal size for that price point. That was just the sweet spot. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. So I think, you know, when you, when you start and when you launch a SKU, right, you don't, you don't really know what size to, to launch it in, right? There's obviously competition out there on the shelf that sells products in similar sizes. So you, you mentioned that, you know, the size that you chose was based on sort of the perfect cost of goods sold. Had you done any other sort of like research or anything else to decide that like, you know, that was, that was the right size that it should be? It was just based on cost. So I get, I get did backwards. I went to my competitors. Yeah. I went to the shelf that I would normally be stocked in. And I just looked at what was comparable. And most of these products, which is basically the CBG uh, dessert snack area next yeah. to like the petite pot, cookie dough in that section, they're all like four, five ounces, no more than that. There are no large jugs. There's no big pint of chocolate chip cookie dough. I mean, if there is, it's usually for like, uh, has a long shelf life. And um, so I didn't compare myself to that because my packaging is a single serving size. So with that being said, I was looking at single serving dessert. That makes snacks. sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and at the end of the day, right? Like looking at the competition, I think is always a really good idea to sort of determine how big your product should be because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure you were looking at competitors that were like pretty big name brands, right? And like, clearly these guys have a lot of money to do R&D to determine, you know, what the perfect size should be doing focus groups, you know, all, all of that, right? So totally makes sense that, you know, you would try to create your product sort of based on, you know, what they're doing, right? And then, Obviously, you're going to stand out in other ways other than just package size with your branding and your your flavors and your ingredients and, and obviously like what's in your product. So, um, so okay, so you made this product, you you made it in a particular size, um, you you started selling it in that size, and I assume at the beginning, like everybody was good with that, right? Oh yes, they they loved it. It was. <laughs> I think the cost was low enough. They could afford to try it. And then soon it picked up. People were like eating it, not in like an hour, but like in in five minutes. (laughs) And soon the same packaging was smaller and smaller. They would come to me at the market and they'd go, can you make it bigger? Cause it's not enough. It's the same one. Got it. (laughs) Majority of my customers who have the same wish are from men. Men, mm. I guess, eat a lot faster than women. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> it's okay. it's more from men. <laughs> and they always say, can you make a big tub for me? That is literally what they say. They yeah. want the big tub, like a yogurt. And I, I can understand that they treat it like yogurt because it's just as healthy as yogurt. But I, 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 I hesitate because I don't know if it's worth it to invest another 
$3,000 in packaging for this SKU that's a little bit larger, actually be probably double the size. Yeah. Is it worth it? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a tough question. I know it's, it's one that like all of us, like all entrepreneurs get at some point, right? You're always going to have consumers that have opinions, right? Like everybody, you know, wants a new flavor. Everybody like, you know, wants a different size. They want it packaged in a different container. They wish you didn't use plastic, like whatever it is, right? There's, there's always, there's always something. And if we were, if we had to like cater to everybody's needs, right? We would be out of business, right? Because, you know, stepping back from like the founder's perspective, right? Like consumers don't really, like, unless they've gone through it before, they don't know what it takes to go from, it's not easy to just be like, oh, okay, instead of four ounces, we're going to do an eight ounce jar, right? There's so much in the supply chain that like needs to be changed and that it's, it's a lot of work, as you said, right? Um, But at the same time, right? Like, these are your consumers that keep coming back and buying your product over and over again. And, you know, if they want a bigger size, right. The question is, should we, should we give it to them? Right. Um, so, you know, I think there's a, a couple, couple ways to, to think about this, right. Like one is, okay, right now, uh, what what are the what would the benefits be of you know keeping your product the same size and like how do you how do you like do you just ignore those people and not make them happy because at the end of the day like it's it's this balance or this Venn diagram of you know running your business and making money and making your consumers happy and like finding that like middle ground where you can find that you know, perfect size, price, all of that, that, you know, that buyers still want to pay for and that makes them really happy so that they don't, you know, complain that it's too small or it's too big or whatever. Right. Correct. So, yeah. So let's, let's talk, talk me through, um, I don't know if you keep your size now, how many, how many of those customers, I guess on a percentage basis, do you feel like you're getting this this like request, like all the time? Is it like once a week? Is it like, are there buyers asking or is it consumers? Right. Cause I think that also matters too. Right. Cause the buyer's the one that like is going to get you on the shelf. And if they're like, eh, like if you don't change your size, I'm not going to bring you in. Right. <laughs> correct. Correct. Honestly, um, only one buyer did push for it, but in his defense, I'm the only dessert that he sells. And I think he had customers reach out and said, can we make this bigger? You know, so he did bring it to my attention. The other stores, they're perfectly happy with the current size because of the display, you know, logistics of having my product. There's four skews with the mango, chocolate, pineapple, and guava. So there's four skews. So it takes up at least like, what, eight inches of window space, right? Yeah. So if you look, open the door. So it's, it's pretty big. If I make another line, with another four SKUs that are larger, oh my gosh, we're talking about the entire shelf. Yeah. And that's going to be a problem because I, well, that's a lot of money in the packaging. Um, that's a problem is logistics. Um, number two is you asked me how many people come ask about 10% of customers and they're all men. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, the other thing to consider too is, you know, do you think like realistically 
the buyer is going to bring on both lines of product or are you going to like cannibalize your small products by having, you know, larger products? And now, you know, once you have the big size, they're going to stop ordering the small size. Oh my gosh. That's a great question. Right. Um, Cause I mean, I don't know. It's, and you know, we don't really know the answer. Right. But I think it's something to, to think about, right? Like if you like, I mean, we have 10 SKUs and there are very few retailers that buy all 10 of our SKUs, right? They're like very specialty shops. And so usually like stores are going to buy maybe three or four. Like if you, you know, if you have a large line of SKUs, they'll usually buy three or four at the beginning to see like how everything's going. But, but after that, you know, you're, you, you risk having some of the SKUs not sell as well, just because, you know, there's only so much room on the shelf to begin with. Right. Correct. Now, okay. You bring up a point. I could actually add on maybe a plain coconut version in a slightly larger size. Like instead of doubling, maybe like a 5.5 or six ouncer. So kind of like a a cup of a, you know, coconut, soy, milk, yogurt, whatever, like that kind of size. The problem now I would see is the cost to the end user. Like would a customer feel yeah. good about paying what um, I would say MSRP would probably like seven bucks, like six ninety nine for a six ouncer. Mm, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question, right? It's definitely something you need to think about, but I, I like the direction that you're going about like thinking about a skew that is sort of like exclusive to this, this new size, right? So you're not just making the mango in a larger size, you're doing something that you're not doing with any of the other skews so that it's hard for the buyer to be like, oh, I'm just going to take this instead of this. Right. Yeah. Right. So I, and I think, I think that's a good thing, you know, for, for other brands out there that are sort of thinking about this, right? Like if you do have just the exact same product in two different sizes, then, you know, at the end of the day, the retailer is probably just going to pick one unless you're just like selling through everything really quickly. I mean, the big brands out there are able to do this, but, um, but they also pay for it, right? So pay for the shelf space. Um, Okay. So let's think about consumer behavior, right? So how are they going to pay for it or not? So right now, your your smaller size, what you said it's it's like four fifty. Uh the sweet spot is three fifty nine. But now with COVID or actually recession, sorry, we're like seeing numbers of as high as three ninety nine. And they okay. still sell. Maybe not as well as three fifty nine, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah. And how does three ninety nine compare relatively to like other products that size? More, no, uh, more expensive. Uh, if you compare me to, let's say, sweet, sweet something, until like, there's another dessert company similar to my my product. They're a little bit smaller, similar, but I think I'm on the higher end. I'm on the higher end by at least yeah. 20%. Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, right, people are still making a choice right now to buy a more expensive product that is yours than, than what the competition is out there. So, what that tells me is that you've done a really good job, like talking about your brand, right? Like people are attracted to your brand, not just your product, right? And I think that's really important for consumers to, or sorry, for, for brand owners to remember, right? Is that 
there are a lot of products out there that are expensive. Um, and just because they're expensive doesn't mean that people aren't going to buy them, right? Like people are, you know, very loyal to certain brands and sometimes they don't care about the price, right? So they're like, I just like have to have this. Like I, I get it all the time. It's my ritual, whatever it is. Right. And, and so I think it just comes down to, um, like, yes, at some point there's probably a limit of, you know, especially if you think about where your product is being sold, what it's being sold around. Um, I mean, I remember at one point we tried to sell our product in a grocery store and they put us in the water aisle and, <laughs> you know, we were like seventeen ninety nine, and everything else around us was like four ninety nine, And so it was just like a, oh, that like, that doesn't really like make sense. But right. even if people wanted our product, they would just like be like, huh? Like, what is this product in the middle of this like sea of water doing that, like, <laughs> you know, is so expensive. So, um, so that was just a lesson learned in terms of like, yeah. you know, make sure you put your product around other things that have like a relatively similar price point or, yeah. that, or that have at least a similar like function, right? Like, in the water section, like, like we make shrubs and yes, you add sparkling water to like two shrubs, but it would make more sense if we were like in the cocktail mixer section or, you know, even with like olive oil and vinegar, because, you know, shrubs are apple cider vinegar based. So, um, so I think, you know, when you think about that larger size, one, are you offering them something new that they can't get with their smaller size? And so, you know, they're willing to try it, right? Yes. Two, like, do they, um, you know, if, if they were willing to pay like $3.59 instead of $2.59 for the small one, would they be willing to pay $5.99 instead of $4.99 for the big one? I don't know. Like, if if they know your brand and they're loyal to you, Um, maybe, right. Um, and it just comes down to, right. Like what they care about in a product and, um, yeah, but I, I, I always feel like price point. I, I know that I felt this way too, but brands get so nervous about pricing their product too high because they don't think consumers are going to buy it. And it just comes down to like making sure you communicate like your brand values rather than just like your product values, if that makes sense. Yes, that that does make sense. It's interesting. You you mentioned earlier about how uh, when people respond to my product that they, they do say I have to have it. I mean, they suck up on my product every weekend (laughs) because I'm like their, their jam for the week. And so they'll get like four or five to for every day of the week. Yeah. And so that being said, I, I think I do have brand loyalty. Plus I have the product loyalty. There's no one else there comparable to me. I mean, yeah, there's other desserts, but they don't have the health benefits. So there's like, you know, it's like, oh, I'll get something else. There's, there's no, no, that conversation. Um, yeah. It's either I get it or I don't. Um, another idea that you just mentioned that came to me, I could actually go to the yogurt aisle, which is I think my indirect customer or com- competitor, sure. sorry. And now they have larger sizes, like I don't know what we call the big jugs yep, yep. <laughs> and they're like five ninety nine, I think. Um, and they're plain like yogurt, right? No, no fruit filling. Right. Right. I couldn't use that as my standard, you know, like maybe make a size 
close to it and be comfortable selling it for like maybe like six ninety nine or six fifty nine, you know, like around that area and call yeah. it Penacota Plain. Yeah, yeah, I to- I totally agree. And, I, and when you mentioned that, I was like, oh yeah, like that feels like what all of the, like the big yogurt companies are doing, right? They don't sell their big tubs in their all of their fruit flavors. Those are yes. like you know for the little ones, right? And so. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think comparing them to, or comparing your size, at least from a price point to theirs at that price point is, is a good, like relative, um, sort of comparison. So, and they're, and they're eating like that. They're when the people, the guys who asked me for it, they're using it instead of their Faha yogurt, they're using this instead. So it makes sense why they want a bigger tub because a little one is like a little, they literally have said it's a snack. It's like a piece of gum. It's very quick to go away. I need a bigger one (laughs) for my post-workout session or, you know, my breakfast. And I did not realize, well, that guys eat that much and that fast, but I'm like, now (laughs) I get it. Yeah. I think that that was a customer uh, audience. I did not Expect. think about when I created my product. Yeah. It was came out more as a high-end desserty for the stay-at-home mom or who just wants like a pudding but don't want to get, you know, the calories from it. Yeah. That was the original customer. But now I think it expanded. Yeah. Basically. No, that's great. And I think like it's it's great, you know, over time that's going to happen, right? You're, you know, you're going to get more feedback from different people and um and and actually start to understand, you know, why and how people are using your product. And I think right at the beginning, when you start a company, you're sort of like guessing a little bit about, you know, this is, this is what I think my target audience is. This is what I think they're going to do with my product. Um, but you're not really going to know until they start using it and sharing with it and, you know, um, or whether you start surveying them and asking them how they're using it. Right. So, um, so, so bridging that, that, it's not necessarily a disconnect, but bridging the sort of vision that you have for your product and what you want it to be with, Mm -hmm. you know, what the consumer perceives your product to be Mm -hmm. and how they're going to use that. And when those are aligned, that's when like things are amazing. That's when the magic happens, right? (laughs) You know, like people using it with granola and berries. What? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that what we're doing now? Like they were using it in foods that I never even thought about. Not because I, just because I don't do it doesn't mean that's not how it's best enjoyed. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And I think sometimes too, as brands, like we put, we put blinders on about sort of our own perceptions or uses of our own product. Right. And then we, we, we don't realize that the people can use them in other ways or do other things. And, and it's really important to like pay attention to those too. Right. Because that's, that's how they're using it. Like you can eat your own product and that's great, but (laughs) it's, it's more important that the other people do. Right. Correct. Um, I think the other thing too, to think about from a a price point perspective is it sounds like, you know, you you have sort of this like healthy dessert thing going on. Right. And so there's definitely, at least I, what I'm hearing is this almost like this indulgence purchase kind of. Right. And I, I, I don't know, like it might be more in not indulgent from like a more sugar, more fat, like that, but just from a like specialty kind of product kind of thing. And so I wonder if people are like willing to pay a little bit more because they feel like they're treating themselves to something. I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of throwing that out there, but 
Um, and I don't know if you have any like data or have heard, heard them say that, uh, but it could be me. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's not the case at all. No, I, I don't think so. I think that when people want a dessert and they usually tell me how they're going to enjoy it. It's kind of funny when I'm right there selling yeah. at the point of sale, they'll go, Oh, I hear them say I can use it for like after my workout or like get to my kids after they come home from school. They're so hungry. So even okay. though I came out thinking it was going to be indulgent, but yet guiltless, yeah. it has become a staple in their refrigerator. It's like their jam. And they see it. Uh, that's what they eat every time they come home. You yeah. know, instead of like scrounging around for chippies or granola or Twinkies, they can grab this. And the parents feel good because it's not like added sugar. I mean, there is added sugar, but it's not like bad sugar. If I'm diabetic, I'm okay with eating this. There's no guilt. I give it to my mom and she comes over and eats it and she's diabetic. It's like there's yeah. free for all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they they buy it. But it's not like not chocolate mousse. It's not like a to me, sure. that's indulgent. That yeah. that is for people who buy it on a whim, in my opinion. Um, when they feel like they deserve it, like finishing sure, course sure. retail ready. <laughs> I'll go to the store and buy a $5 cheesecake because I deserve it. That's not my customer. My customer is an everyday consumer who uses this on a daily basis. I even have monthly subscribers. So that's kind of like how it's being utilized. It's a mm, great daily consumption. Yeah. yeah. Great. So, I mean, and so if you have these people that are like loyal to you every month, then, you know, um, you know, that's also, offering them something new is, is great. I, I have people that ask me all the time, like, when are you coming out with a new flavor? Like, I want to try something new. Right. And so yeah. if you have people that are like loyal to you and, you know, want to keep coming back, then, you know, offering something new is, is, is great. And and it, it's also great because, you know, at, at this point for you, right. It's not like you are, considering making a bigger product right at the beginning, right? It's not like you got into one store and now all of a sudden you're like, oh, I need to do more, right? Like you've you've listened to your consumers to try to understand what, what they want as opposed to just like what you think is best for the world for your product, right? right. Um, and, and so that way you already have your sort of audience built in that you could you can, you essentially get all of these sort of like free sales of like, Hey, like it's, it's much easier to be like, I want to add on this like eight ounce tub of, you know, right. coconut font. Right. Yes. Actually, you're right. It is easier. I mean, had a buyer said to me, he said, if you or, offer seasonal items, it literally is so much easier to get onto the shelves versus mm-hmm. like a new skew. I'm not sure the reasoning, but I heard that. So now whenever I put a new flavor out, it's seasonal right. <laughs> and it's, it's a lot easier. Trust me. So this could be a seasonal thing, but I'll like keep it on forever. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, so let's go back to the the question about, you know, okay. We've talked about, you know, your small, the small package size. We've talked about what the big package size could look like. I like the direction of making it sort of exclusive, the flavor, excuse me, exclusive to that size. Um, And so now the question is, you know, let's think about like best case and worst case scenario if if we decide to do that, right? Um, one of the benefits uh, I'm thinking of off the bat is if you only have one flavor, then it's going to cut down a little bit on your, your cost of goods sold because you're only going to have to print one label. You can print like a larger volume of, of them instead of like multiple flavors. Um, 
you know, having one size from a production perspective, there's less like, it's just one flavor and that's it. And you're just putting it all in the same container, right? Oh my gosh, Charlie, you're so right. Because the biggest costs here is the fruit. The fruit is so difficult to source. So if I subtract that and just have plain coconut, it's not as bad. So in theory, my margins should be very good. Yeah. And maybe even better, right? If you're doing a larger size and like, you know, at the end of the day, I think consumers often forget that, you know, buying a two ounce bottle of something in a 16 ounce bottle of something, the packaging cost is basically the same for the the manufacturer. But, um, but at the end of the day, like, yeah, you're cutting your, your cost of goods sold by getting rid of the fruit and you're potentially like setting yourself up for a better volume situation because now you can buy, let's just say, instead of buying a thousand labels for uh, each different SKU, you're buying 4,000 labels at the 4,000 label price instead of the thousand label price, right? Like one small thing, right? Um, And from a production perspective, I mean, again, like we make 10 flavors, switching between flavors is where we lose a lot of time and efficiency, right? Um, Now, maybe in your case, that's that's different, but um, at least I'll speak from experience and say that, you know, if if I only had two SKUs, it would make my life so much easier from a production perspective. Um, I also, uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about other? No, I, I think it's actually, uh, as you're talking more about this, it's, I could see it could open up my audience and marketing even more. When you have a plain version, it allows people to do what they like with it. They can add yeah. their own flavors to it. I mean, I've had people tell me they add condensed milk in my product. And I kind of shudder, like, why would you do that? <laughs> but that's how they enjoy their dessert. People have asked me to make strawberries because they like strawberries in it. Now, I can't do it because strawberries doesn't hold very well in my product. Mm. But if you have fresh strawberries at home and you chop it up and you puree it with the panna cotta, that would be a pretty good dessert. So that would open up my marketing to include like recipes and to do as like an ingredient as part of a dessert yeah. or parfait. I could not do that before because it came out. My original product is just straight of a cup, open it up and you enjoy. That's it. There's right. not much to it. <laughs> Now, oh my gosh, the world has opened up to more possibilities. And now people who are foodies and chefs can make this into a dessert or parfait or what have you. Whatever it is. Yeah. I I mean, the other thing that immediately comes to my mind too, when I think about a larger size product is, you know, are there any food service opportunities for you where, um, I don't know, like a chef, a bakery, like something would kind of use your product and you could sell it to them in sort of bigger tubs. Again, I know right now, like all I can think about is somebody like single serve eating your product. And so I'm trying to think of like how that could translate, but generally across the board, when I think about like bigger sizes, I think, well, could you like, could you open up a new channel opportunity for yourself or even like a, like a Costco type situation where, you know, now if you got one flavor and you can be a little bit more efficient with your production and your packaging mm. and your cost mm. of goods sold and everything at Costco is bigger, you know, could you open yourself up to some possibilities in, in, in those types of channels where you're not already? Yes. I, 
I, you're right. I couldn't. Um, it's funny you should mention Costco because they approached me a long time ago about my product and I was super excited, but I had like two skis at the time and they wanted me to repackage it with the paper sleeve. And it was a lot yeah. of costs, additional costs included. And there was, I had a guaranteed movement and I, I don't know how I could do that. Now with this, if I did one skew, one large, let's say pint or six and a half ounce plain coconut panacotta, I, I think it's a lot easier to do it because I don't do it in a sleeve, right? They can just sell it individually to Costco at let's say six ninety nine, And I think that'd be fine. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing that you could think about in this situation is if, if something like this comes up, right. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Hmm, like maybe this is my ticket into Costco. <laughs> like what, what if like, I basically designed this specifically for Costco so that I can like basically meet all of their requirements, but right. then also like use, use that, use this as that opportunity to do that. But then now I have this product that I can also sell, you know, in other grocery stores that uh, people are already like have demand for. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause like it would, it would be terrible if you like said, Hey, I'm going to make a six ounce container. And then Costco's like, ah, I really wanted you to make a seven ounce one. Right. Or right, right. whatever it is. Right. So thinking about like, you know, working with them to create like the perfect like packaging container, whatever it is, and then just taking that and, you know, replicating it other in other grocery stores. I yeah, don't know. Definitely. I well, I wouldn't make it specifically for Costco. If I did, I mean, I would try to meet near their criteria, yeah, like yeah, their yeah. standards. And then if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I'm not gonna sweat it. But I would I need to make sure that I don't price myself out of the market. That's my biggest concern is to create, let's say an eight ounce one, but I have to charge like eight or $9 for it. I would, that's just, even for a high end product, it wouldn't be right. I don't feel comfortable with that. Hmm. Um, Now I have another question, Charlie. Yeah. Uh, One of the problems I have, and maybe this is me, because I am like a a pharmacist by day. And so yeah. I always worry about quality yeah. of what I dispense or provide to my customers slash patients. When the panna cotta is broken into, like when you break the first, uh, when you break into the surface, there's a thing called cineresis, which is like the, the, the water seeps out kind of like yogurt okay. or yeah. peanut butter. And um, there are no preservatives in my products. So there's no like sodium benazoate or citric oxide to prolong the shelf life. So I'm not, um, there's also just two concerns. Concern is one is that there's a pooling of fluid after day one. And number two, the shelf life shortens from the 35 days down to probably like four or five days after you open it because bacteria would grow on it and such. Am I overthinking this? So, sorry, let me just understand. Is this, um, this is only, this only happens after you open it or it after happens you, like after you break into it. Like once you break into it, like you put a spoon, like you start to open oh. up and enjoy it. Uh, it happens with anything, with yogurt, anything that involves, um, that's bound by agar or pectin. You know, there's the, the binding agent uh, is, is broken. And so the water that's inside the product seeps out. So it's more of a cosmetic issue. There's no problem. It's edible. It's perfectly fine. Right. I just worry like, oh, my customers will like frown upon that there's pool of fluid around my pinacota. Um I mean, I would say that, you know, 
you're it's it's good for you to think about these things one like um but two from a from a safety perspective there's nothing there's nothing wrong like this isn't going to happen if the product is just sitting on the shelf and somebody purchases it no, right yeah. <laughs> right so so you don't have to worry about that and then they you you mentioned two other products that you know yogurt and peanut butter where you buy them and you open it up and there's like a bunch of oil on top or like right. a bunch of water on top. And so yeah. one, like it's even, even in your category, people are, are used to that, right? They're, yes. they're used to seeing that. So I think from, from that perspective, like they're not going to be like, Oh wait, this is crazy. Like, why is there water on here? Um, <laughs> but you can also be, you know, transparent and say like once opened use within like a week kind of thing. Right. Oh. Cause there, there's tons of products out there that say like, you know, and I'm sure we we wait longer to use them than they actually say on the side <laughs> of the thing. But they say like use within three days or or drink yeah. within three days, um, keep refrigerated kind of thing, right? Yeah, that's actually a good idea is to put that on a label and and uh, say like um, after opening you can expect or it is normal to have water yeah on top and enjoy within four days. Yeah, yeah, I, I think oh that's, that's totally reasonable. And then Perfection. you know if in seven days, they look at their product and they're like, oh, what's this? They can look at the side of the label and be like, oh, I guess I should have eaten it faster. Ah, that, that is true. I do that. I do that. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So I am not overthinking it. I just wasn't finding a solution around it, but this is a good way. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, um, yeah, I mean, from a from a safety perspective, that would be my my biggest concern if it was like happening right. post production. But if it's not happening post production, then and it's happening only once the consumer like actually opens the product, it's like and and you communicate that you know it's only good for this amount of time. Um, I think that's perfectly like reasonable, and you're being transparent about everything. Uh, you're not trying to like hide the fact that like it's actually good longer than it is. So, um, and, and brands, brands do that all the time. So, and yeah. big, big brands, especially. <laughs> I love it. That really is a good solution. Okay, great. Yeah. So, I mean, you can do that on your small package. You can do that on your, your big package. Um, I think, uh, yeah. Why not? Honestly, I don't do that for my small packaging because I eat it like right there. So, okay, so I guess that's true. In that, in that case, right? You're not like, once you open it, you eat it all and then it's gone. Yeah. So I've, I've seen people actually buy it and eat it as they're paying for it. And by the time they walk out the door, <laughs> like all I see is like the lid and I, there's nothing else left. Yeah. Um, okay. So we, we've talked about sort of some of the the positives of, you know, having a larger size, what do, what do you see as some of the negatives or? Uh, only negatives will be the initial capital needed to, to bring that skew in. Cause I usually, I have a designer that makes me, uh, makes me customize logos and the labels, nutritional facts are easy. And there's just, you know, get that to the printer. So for me, it cost me about $3,000 from the get go to get like 10,000 units of that size. Mm-hmm. That's about it. It's initial cost will be there, but it's, I can afford it. That's okay. Yeah. Let me, let me just throw a couple of other things out there for you to think about too. Yeah. So uh, cost was definitely like, you know, just straight up capital that you need to invest. Sure. That was something I was thinking about, but what about um, uh, 
the the idea that like let's say you said like people just like eat it at the you know register when they're checking out, yeah. right? Yes. Um and then maybe the next day they do the same thing, right? And then the yes. next day they do the same thing. Now, what if they purchase it on Monday, but they, they purchase the big size on Monday, but then they don't purchase another one for a week later instead of, right? So now your velocity in theory could slow down because, you know, people are not buying it as oh, frequently. I don't Charlie, know. Oh my God. I didn't think about that. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I've also would change, but, but I, I can, I mean, I'll, I'll like, <laughs> I will say if you make this flavor exclusive and you make it plain, they might still also buy the fruit versions because there's like a different use case for them. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, and in fact, uh, the fruit flavors I offer are very special. You don't usually find right. mango I, I like in yogurt. You might find strawberry, but you won't find guava. Right. Right. Okay. That's fair. I, I think that's, that's fair. But, but I would say if you did make every fruit flavor the same size, then you would definitely be like, oh yeah, your velocity <laughs> pretty bad, right? Yeah. But you know, on you know, on the flip side, even if I'm a velocity board to drop because they're buying, you know, two or three of these uh, larger tubs, as I would call it, mm-hmm. my profit margin is larger. So I think in the end, it probably even out. True. Yeah. I mean, that's that's good um, for sure. You you definitely want your profit margin to <laughs> to be better. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then and then the question is, you know. Can you like, let's say, what if a buyer came to you and said, "Hey, we can only take four of four skews of yours, and now like one of them has to go." So, like, would you if if they said, "Hey," and and it sounds like you would say yes because your profit margin on the bigger one would be really good, correct? Yeah, um, compared to like one of like you drop one of the fruit and keep those. Yeah. Um, I'm actually okay with it just because like the fruit ones, even though they're very popular, they're harder to make. Yeah. They're harder to source. Um, and like you said, when you have three different flavors, that's three different production lines, you know? So it's, it's not right. fun. I'm in the kitchen a lot longer than I want to be. So, uh, so it might actually be sort of a blessing in disguise that now, correct. you know, you've got, you still have four SKUs, but one is like, if you think about your sort of average profit margin across yeah. your existing four SKUs yeah. compared to three of those fruit skews plus like the large coconut version. Now yes. your average profit margin has probably gone up. Correct. And um, so, so that's, that's great. Um, the last thing I would say is your project is your products refrigerated, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. So the only other thing I would also want you to consider, and maybe there's a solution for this um, is you make all this product, worst case scenario, you have to store it in a refrigerator or a refrigerated warehouse, right? Yes. That costs money, right? Yeah. Um, usually, so so what is, and then what happens if it doesn't sell before the expiration date? And I mean, now I have, I am not in the refrigerated supply chain, so mm-hmm. I am not used to like managing inventory on short shelf life items sort of that quickly. So you are in a much better position to answer this question than, than I am, but just something that is worth thinking about because storage costs money. And I think oftentimes 
brands forget that early on, um, that you have to pay for the product to be stored after you produce it before it sells, right? That's true. That's true. Well, first of all, uh, I don't make like hordes of this stuff at any given time. I only give it, make it when I'm in an order or I know where it's going. So every time I make a batch, it's already been accounted for. Someone's already owned it. Someone's paid for it. Um, Those are probably like stores because I don't know what they have and I always offer a product guarantee. So I'm really just, you know, hoping that they sell and I replace their stock with new ones and they get paid for what they sold. Um, so I don't have a lot of like on hand inventory. That's my point here. So okay, I'm not worried about like shelf life. And honestly, if worst comes to worst, they go as go away as samples. And so there's never a lost product. <laughs> Everything's always being utilized at all times. So for the larger ones, I wouldn't make it unless I have orders and I would only make a small batch at a time. Right. So so in that case, that's that's great because there's I mean, yes, you have to invest a little bit in the in the new packaging and the new yeah. labels, but there's less risk from a, you know, let's say you had a co-packer and your minimum order was 20,000 oh. units, right? And you had to go and like decide if you were going to test out this new SKU. Oh, no, Charlie, units, here's right? a good point. With co-packers, they require like a minimum of like 10,000 units or one pallet. Um, no, and I... Obviously, if you start a new SKU or a new packaging, you got to start at a, like at the ground zero, you know, start with like your customers, the market or whatever, and sell two or three a day or whatever. And if you get more volume than a co-packer is fine, but not, not now. Yeah. So that, I mean, that, I don't know, how are you, how do you feel like we, we, we've had this conversation for, I don't know, 30 or so minutes. We've talked, talked through some things. How are you feeling about like, uh, in uh, Charlie? Mind, mind blowing. That's all I can say. Mind blowing. <laughs> I've been struggling this since uh, 2018. And every time someone asks me, I just kind of like, I laugh at it. I kind of brush them off. I make some kind of can answer like, I know, I know or I thought about <laughs> it or blah, blah, blah. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, do you know how much it costs? Yeah, do you yeah. know what it's like to, to make another one? Uh, that may not sell. And I wasted all my money and energies in a packaging that you may or may not buy. Those are what goes to my head. And I'm probably, um, actually I am overthinking it according to you because it's so much easier. I always thought I had to make the four SKUs in a larger size. I don't, I could just go with the one flavor and I could make it, make it different, make it um, more high end and packaging fanciful and, you know, distinctive, but yet they know it's guiltless treats. So I I also think, you know, there's, I think there's much less risk here than like, you know, I, I, because you make your product to order, right. Because there's no fruit. Right. And, and it's, it's sort of, I, I mean, I don't know if it's basically just what goes on top of the fruit in the other ones yeah. with maybe something else, but like, if you already have that and you don't have to redesign a whole new, like skew flavor, all of that, or, uh, and like you already have consumers that are, you know, loyal to you and willing to try new products. Right. Yes. I feel like, it's worth trying and tracking the data, right? Yes. And and if it doesn't work, like it doesn't work. But but you will. I I'm pretty sure you will have at least sold 
some product that you will make money on because your profit margins will be better and you already have an audience to sell to. And, you know, when a buyer comes to you and makes a suggestion like that Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you can like fulfill their, like Mm -hmm. their dream of, (laughs) of doing that, you know, you can get on their good graces and test it out in a retailer and see how it goes. And, you know, um, and especially if your profit margin is a little bit better, maybe you offer them an intro deal and say, Hey, I just want to try this skew. Let's see how it goes. We've got you, you said like people are asking for it. Um, and you know, thank you for like, for, for doing this. This is, this is how I'm going to help you like get it off the shelf. Yes. Yes. And you know, you're right. The buyer asked it, not a consumer, not like a friend. And why would this buyer tell me this? Because he stocks my stuff all the time. He must have customers complain about how tiny it is. Because he asked me, why don't you make a bigger one? I'm like, yeah, are you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. Not so for him. it's not for him. It's for his consumers that he sees it like. Didn't even So I know. Um, I think I, I sometimes when you're in the, the field, when you're doing it, you don't think oh, you're just being nice. Or you, I didn't think that he was speaking on behalf of a bunch of other customers. Yeah. I didn't think about that at all. And I don't know why. I think I was just like too hooked up on the um, the cost, like what it would cost out of me, or then I would sell. Am I going to sit on a bunch of packaging that won't move? That's my biggest fear, really. You know, like, I mean, I, I hear that. And I think, you know, at the beginning, or I, I know oftentimes brands, they get so stuck on, I have to get the cost per unit as low as I can, right? Which means yeah. I have to buy 10,000 labels instead of a hundred, which is, you know, yes. all I can afford right now, but it's 10,000, right? And so at the beginning, right? Like keep, like keep your cash and only invest like a little bit to test it out, like pay a little bit more for SKU. But then once things start going, like as long as you understand what it's going to look like, what the difference in cost is going to look like between making, you know, a hundred of these versus a thousand of these. Mm-hmm. Then um, you know, there, there's no yeah, actually like that's a good point. Like instead packaging. of going to my um my printer to pick, print the 10,000, I would just start slow and order like the plain packaging, like me say buy a sleeve of a hundred units of packaging. Yeah. Get my local designer to do like a a prototype of the label, get that printed. And I'll cost more, obviously, but I'm not looking for, I'm looking for sales. Like would people buy it? Would it move based on that size, on that price point with all the fanciful designs? And actually since I have more real estate on the package labeling, I can write more stuff, more language, more labels, more sticker stuff. Yeah. yeah, It's been cool. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Um, This is really fun. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Charlie. uh, Thank you for going through this with me. Um, So I, you know, we, we've, we've talked through the pros and cons of both situations. I am, I'm getting excited, like <laughs> thinking about sort of the, the, the possibilities here. Um, tell me like, I don't know, are you, are you ready to think about like next steps? And um, it, it seems crazy that we could like make this decision within like. Oh, no, it's, it's super okay. easy for me. Cause I already have arrow by Jackson Rill. All I gotta do is call my gal. Um, get a hold of my packaging company and just see if they have the size I want. I do have to do homework tonight and do the math and figure out what yep. size 
is me optimum. I have to go to like the stores and that I sell to and find out what my competition is. Like what's the highest price point of their yogurts yep. based on that size. So I'm going to do it based on ounce. Like if it's like a dollar per ounce, that kind of thing, I got to make it similar, maybe 20% higher than the mm-hmm. other ones. Cause it's a dessert. It's pinnacle. Yeah. So I think I can start with that. And if I can get, let's say a six ouncer and sell it to the end user at like less than like seven bucks, I think that'll be good. Just yeah estimation here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and remembering that, you know, your cost is good. So you're not going to have that fruit in there. So, you know, yeah. even, even if you, if the packaging is bigger and you have to create more product, you're, you don't have to make Well, more. actually, I actually like to price it higher and then offer the promotional deals like every quarter. I think so that there's good. a little bit of wiggle room. Totally. So instead of like six ninety nine, it's five ninety nine this week. And that always sells. I, the red tags hundred percent. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Awesome. Kareen, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I hope this conversation was helpful for you. No, thank you, Charlie. This has been amazing. Like I <laughs> literally, I can't believe it. my brain is getting like all juiced up now because it's like moving forward. I was stuck on this for so long and there was no one that I could actually ask this about. It was such a very specific business question that I don't think no one in my family knew or in my life knew how to answer this. It was just like, yeah, do it. <laughs> no, it's not that easy. Well, that that really means a lot. I, I appreciate that. So um, thank you. And, and, and to all of our listeners out there, I hope um, this gave you guys some perspective as well. You know, especially if you guys are struggling with uh, sort of this decision about whether to make your products bigger or smaller. Um, so let's wrap things up here. Kareem, where can people find you? I am everywhere on Instagram and, <laughs> and Facebook. Just go hash up, uh, was it at my guiltless treats, plural. That's treatsplural.com. No, no, no. At my guiltless treats or my website, www.myguiltlesstreats.com. That's my website right there. I am the only person that responds to all the messages and text messages and DMs. So that's how you get a hold of me. Perfect. All right, Kareen, thank you so much. And I will see you in the Facebook group in Retail Ready. Sounds good. See you later. Bye. All right, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Kareen. And I hope you have enjoyed our new segment here on the Food Biz Whiz podcast. This is the type of one-on-one coaching that I do exclusively for Retail Ready students day in and day out. So If you are interested in this type of support and more, you should definitely check out Retail Ready, um, which you can do by going to uh, foodbizwiz.com slash retail ready. Thank you again for tuning in with Kareen from My Guiltless Treats. I can't wait to hear what you thought about it. I will see you in the Food Biz Whiz Facebook group for continued conversation, and I will be back in your ears next month. Bye, guys. If you've been enjoying these episodes, imagine what it would be like to ask clarifying questions directly to me and have my assistants working through your strategy on these topics. Well, you can. My Retail Ready students have access to me live in our private online group and on our monthly coaching calls, and I'd love to see you in there as well. Retail Ready enrollment opens again really soon and kicks off with my free masterclass on the three steps to growing your packaged food business. I have that linked here in the show notes, and I can't wait for you to join to learn more about me and how I work with clients, to find out whether Retail Ready 
is the right fit for you and to learn my three steps to growing your packaged food biz. Come join me via the link in the show notes and I'll see you there. Thanks for listening to Food Biz Wiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. From one small business owner to another, I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? Find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.